Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur with your host, Steve Kidd, third-generation minister and 30-year business coach. Listen in as amazing, world-changing authors, speakers, and coaches share their struggles and victories, and hear from best-selling authors' insight into how you, too, can live your life as a thriving entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome to Thriving Entrepreneur. Thanks for being here with us today. Appreciate you. Appreciate the time that you invest in you. We want to thrive, right? I mean, come on. Don't we really want to thrive in our life and our business? Not just get by, not just survive, not have things be okay, but really thrive. I love the sound of that word. That's uh, one of the reasons why I named the show Thriving Entrepreneur is because I just, I mean, that word rolls off the tongue, thriving, just feels good to even say it, you know, and and I want that for you. I, I see your life and I want, I wish, I pray, I bless you with thriving in your life. That's uh, That's something we should all want. And today, I'm so honored. Oh my gosh, have I got an amazing guest for you today. I'm going to be joined by Gene Swank. Gene, uh, among the many other things that he's going to tell you about, um, you know, he runs an incubator, but it's a little bit different. Um, He really helps people at all kinds of different levels in their business. And he's going to share with us some really amazing things out of his international best-selling book, it's called No Money Down. So a lot of times, you know, we deal with that myth of it takes money to make money. You got to have lots of money. You know, we have lots of examples of people who, you know, they started from nothing other than that million dollar loan that they got from their family or those kind of things. And I hope, I really do hope that as you start out or as you started out, depending on where you are in the process, that there are friends, there are family, there are people who said, you know, hey, I see what you're doing and I believe in you and I want to invest in what you're doing. But, you know, sometimes that isn't possible. Sometimes the people that love us and are praying for us, supporting us, encouraging us, they're, that's all they have to give. You know, they don't have anything. Um, I've had so many people on the show that have talked about coming from literal nothing. I mean, some of them even less than nothing. Um, to be in a place where they can now really make an impact in the world. Not only to make money, but to make the difference that only they can make. You see, good people do more good in the world when they have more money to be able to do more good. I was watching a TV show the other day, and um, it was one of those reality TV shows, and the people actually didn't didn't win. But um, the thing that impressed me was the fact that what they wanted to do with their business was bigger than just the money they wanted to bring in to support their family. What they wanted to do, they wanted to help reach out and help people in less than circumstances see possibilities, learn skills, move on to new things. Uh, One of my favorite statistics, one of my probably absolute favorite things about millennials 
you know, and I'm 52 years old, so I hope I'm not old and crotchety too much. But, you know, there are those times when I'm like, ah, those kids. <laughs> not too bad about it. But, you know, I mean, there are those times. But one of my very favorite things about millennials is the fact that they put the significance of what the place they're working is doing over what they're necessarily making from it. And, and I really respect that about them because they want what they do to matter, to make a difference. Um, regardless of what their particular philosophical, sociological, or even religious beliefs are, um, for them, for whatever they stand for, um, you know, they want the work that they're doing on a day-to-day basis to also bring that up. And I think that's one of the reasons why, um, in spite of the fact that uh, if you've ever hung out in a group of 45, 50-year-olds, I'm sure you've heard a whole lot of uh, down talk about millennials. Um, there's also some really incredibly amazing millennials that are doing not only world-changing things, but making enormous amounts of money doing it. Um, and it starts from that desire to really make a difference. And that's really the point. Um, where you start is not where you're going to end up. What you have in your bank account today has no reflection on what you can have in your bank account even tomorrow. It's just a matter of the difference between what you see that specifically, you know, you log into your bank account, if you're like me. Um, does anybody actually even use the check register thingy? And Does anybody even use checks? I mean, really, somebody said the other day, they're like, you know, well, we can't take, you know, we have to have a check. And I was like, wow, man, I don't even know if I know where a check is. And I do actually, they're in this drawer over here. But I mean, who really uses checks um, or the check register? But, you know, you log into your bank account. And um, you see what that amount is. That's what's seen. That's the current momentary reality. But it's not necessarily what's real. It's not where you're going to be. And it has no bearing on even really the rest of today. It is a, um, you know, a spotlight, a snapshot of this moment in time. And then it becomes on us to put ourselves in a place where we can then impact what that snapshot, and it doesn't have to be the bank account. It could be, you know, you look in your closet. It could be you look at the car that's out in your driveway. Um, you know, any of those kind of things. It's on us to take that snapshot and then add to it action. And that's one of the things I really ex uh, really am excited about bringing Gene T about is that he's all about action, all about creative action. Um, I remember, this is a whole lot of years ago. Um, it was about 1986, I think. Might even, yeah, like 1986. Um, I met a guy and he was actually working as a car salesman at that time. But prior to that, he had come from a very impoverished background and he decided that he really wanted to have money. And so what he did um, is he actually went 
to, um, to a neighbor or something like that and borrowed from them a squeegee and they had the last little bit, um, you know, like if it's a five gallon bucket, it was less than a, even a half a gallon of um, sealant that you use on asphalt driveways. Now, some of you that live in areas where they don't have asphalt driveways, I could be talking a foreign language to you, but for those of you that have lived in some of those Midwest areas where they have that, one of the things is that they, you know, they tend to start, you know, kind of cracking and separating a little bit. And so he, and it's, it's like a type of tar and you spread it across it and it helps keep it, um, you know, level and, and not cracked so that it's a nice smooth surface. So he took this, like I said, little bit and the squeegee that the guy loaned him and he literally went to the neighbor next door to that and ask, hey, can I, you know, seal your driveway? Would you pay me to do that? And that person, there was just enough in there for them to him to do that one driveway. Um, and if my amounts are off, you know, I mean, keep in mind that was 1986, so that was a long time ago. Um, but uh, enough to do just that one driveway. And um, from that, he got enough money to be able to buy his own, like, five-gallon bucket of that uh, sealer or tar or whatever it is, and his own squeegee. And then he literally just went door to door to door to door to door, um, selling, can I seal, you know, can I do the ceiling on your driveway? Um, and made a whole bunch of money, enough money that he was able actually to buy his first car, enough money that he was able to move out of wherever it was he was living. I can't remember if he was living with his parents or he had a bunch of roommates or whatever, but his own place. Now, he didn't buy a house. He was just renting a house, but he had enough money to be able to pay his own deposits and all those kind of things. Um, That story still inspires me to this day because I think a lot of times we look at the snapshot that we see of this minute and we stay stuck there. We stay in mourning over what isn't as opposed to really stepping up and being excited by the possibility that that means that creates. You see, when there's a bunch of money in your bank account, um, there is the possibility, and I'm not saying that you're this kind of person, but there is the possibility of doing less than what you could do because... Um, you know, there isn't as much motivation as there is when you're in a desperate situation. When you've got rent that was due yesterday and you go to the bank account and there's no money there. You know, some of you may have heard the uh, story that Kathy tells. Uh, we were in the process of selling the house that we had. We, we literally took a one-story house and made it a two-story house. It was really awesome. There's so many cool pictures of the transition that we did when Kathy's mom moved in with us um, because she needed something was on the main floor and um, there weren't really any houses with a main floor, uh, you know, suite that she could use. And so we just we just made one. (laughs) Um, And uh, when when it came time that we needed to sell that house for many different things, uh, not the least of which is, is in order to be able to do what we now do, we needed money. We were, we were pretty broke. We were really broke. Okay, let's be honest. Uh, you know, we were on food stamps. We were struggling, 
every day to make money, to make ends meet, to keep up with stuff. And honestly, we weren't keeping up very well at that time. Um, and so the house was up on uh, up for sale on the market, and it wasn't selling. Um, and, you know, you've heard Kathy tell the story about it. But, uh, you know, the flip side to the we had to leave the house because there was a showing for the house. Um, in fact, I think it was an open house, so we had to be gone for like three or four hours. And we had a sum total of $7 in the bank account. Um, you know, fortunately, um, it's, you know, we could use a debit card to be able to access all seven of those dollars. It wasn't one of those kind of things where we had to go to an ATM, which, you know, you couldn't get the money out of. Um, and, you know, we went to McDonald's and bought very basic cheeseburgers. I'm not even sure that we had fries. I'm sure we didn't have drinks. Um, you know, and that was our lunch or whatever it was. Um, while we sat there in the car and went to the park and those kind of things. the You know, and, and that's a real low moment. And I don't want to take away from how low that moment was. But the up part about that, the cool part about that is the motivation that even to this day it gives both Kathy and I when we think about where we were and how bad off it really truly was we don't want to be in that place again. And it is one of the catalyst moments that made us really not just have this thing, because we had, uh, you know, it was right during that time, right before that time, that uh, the taking wide to the whole world, helping people become bestsellers had been birthed. Um, But even more so than that, it made us really buckle down and really start pushing that in in a big way and um, everything that is now the best sellers guild and all that we as kid marketing do to help people write publish and market their books to bestseller that all was birthed out of that now there's a lot of things we learned things we knew years and years of helping people do that on a one-on-one basis and those kind of things but the real explosion of that happened from that that all came out of that and I like those kind of motivations I look back at those and am grateful for those kind of motivations so today I want you to take a snapshot of where you're at be real with where things are but then I want you to be ready for action right now to take action, to move forward, and to really listen in as Gene shares some powerful stuff with us today that are going to help you up-level your business and help you live as a thriving entrepreneur. We'll be right back. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because... It serves other people. 
Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur. Have you ever heard the old phrase, it takes money to make money? You know, the truth of the matter is is that it doesn't necessarily, but it does take a strategy. So today we're joined by international best-selling author, Gene Swank. He's going to talk to us about his book, No Money Down, Defying the Myth That It Takes Money to Make Money. Hey, Gene, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Steve. Thank you so much for having me on today. I'm, I'm excited to get started. Absolutely. So um, give people a rundown of who you are and what's got you to this point in life. Sure. Yeah. So I would say that uh, I sort of started my career as a, well, I guess you could say a nerd. I started my career in the software world, um, designing wireless routers and bridges as a software engineer. I did that for about 14 years. Um, At the same time that I was doing uh, the software engineering, I decided to start my first business. Uh, which was a small software company, uh, basically taking projects from the U.S. and Canada and outsourcing them to a team of, I think I had about 30 um, engineers offshore and uh, loved it, loved being an entrepreneur. And still, while keeping my full-time job and running the first one, I started my next business out of my garage. My, uh, my wife liked to, she liked to buy expensive clothes for the kids, right? And her justification was, um, you know, I could always sell them online and get almost what I paid for them back. And we realized very quickly that people buy it with their eyes, right? It's just, it, it just is the truth. So the better the photos we could take, um, the better the listings would do, especially on marketplaces. So <laughs> we very quickly um, came up with the idea of designing uh, photography backdrops. We saw the, how it increased the sales um, uh, the sale prices and how things would just fly off the shelf. Um, we decided to turn into a business. So out of our garage, we started this small printing company where we design and manufacture our own backdrops. Uh, next thing you know, I think, uh, what was it? Maybe 10 months later, while still in our garage, we have a house full of people and, uh, and, uh, a million dollars plus in sale. I think we hit 1.4 million that year. And uh, we decided it's time to move out of this garage and into more like a warehouse, more official um, uh, sort of setting, I guess. And, uh, and yeah, we eventually expanded it into nine countries, got resellers all over the world. Australia is a huge market for us. And um, yeah, so, so I just really loved entrepreneurship. And after that, we went a little bit crazy, right? I got into, you know, um, brick and mortar stores, um, real estate started buying up properties, got, you know, uh, high end luxury VRBO sort of vacation rentals. I took a, a turn at, um, uh, you know, um, educational technology, video game development platform. I mean, you name it pretty much every vertical you can think of. I have probably touched at some point in time. Um, and, and the truth is while I have had several successes, I've had a ton, a ton, a ton of failures, right? And that, I got to say, the failures are so much more important than the successes that I had. And, you know, and that's part of what brought me to, to, to write this book. So first of all, of course it is, uh, you know, I, I'm a big fan of bootstrapping, 
right? I'm a big fan of, of starting a business without spending all of your life savings, without taking all of that risk. Now, being an entrepreneur is risky, right? But it has to be sort of, uh, there, there's sort of like, um, get the way that, that those, um, those risks as well. Um, so it's about starting a business without having a lot of money, but it's also about my personal journey, right? And all the failures that I made, not only through my business life, but through my personal life. Because I honestly believe, Steve, I got to tell you that every single bad thing that's ever happened in my life has led to something that is truly amazing, right? Every time I think, you know, at the moment, like, why God is this happening to me? It ends up, it ends up leading me on the path that I need to be at that ultimately leads to, you know, my, my ultimate happiness, right? And I think, you know, I mentioned this in the book, how, how sometimes we don't look back and connect those dots, but it was my own son that connected those dots for me. So I remember, um, as, I, as I mentioned in the book, right, after all these terrible things happened to me, and I thought, you know, uh, um, you know I thought my life was over and that I was going to be poor and, and living on the streets, um, eventually turned my life around. It was many years later that my son said to me, you know, like, I, I, I'm so glad your car broke down in the desert, which I can tell you that story at another time. And it's because he realized that all these terrible things that happened to me led to me meeting my wife, getting married, and his entire existence. So yeah, I, I, that's what the book really is about, right? It's about my own personal journey of starting a business, of all the failures that I've gone through in my own life, all the sort of trials and tribulations. Um, it's about the fact that it, it you know, it does take a lot of failures are learning. Uh, they're a learning experience and they're much more important. The failures are much more important than the actual successes, to be honest. And it's about, you know, just teaching people that it is possible to start a business without having a large bank account, right? Like literally my, my, my printing company, I started with, with, uh, it was actually less than I tell people a hundred dollars is actually less than a hundred dollars. My wife constantly reminds me of this. It was like just a few bucks that we spent, um, and we were able to, to bootstrap it into a multi-million dollar, uh, business, like I said, with locations in nine countries. So yeah, Steve, I think in essence, that's basically me and that's, that's kind of my story. So now today, um, you're kind of not bootstrapping. I mean, you're helping a lot of other people, but, um, give us an idea of what your company does now today then. Yeah, so I have uh, I have several ventures today. To be honest with you, I, I'm spread across many of those ventures. Some of the companies kind of run themselves, uh, which is a great point to get to, right? When you when you get to a stage where you don't have to be spending the day to day on it, and you can continue to reap the benefits of that business. I mean, this is like the ultimate goal for most people, right? That passive income, where you can continue to reap the benefits of those businesses and focus on something that you truly love. For me, entrepreneurship and helping other founders is my true passion. So what I do today is myself and, and my co-founder, David Dowling, had founded a, um, a, an incubator for startups. Uh, we have about 100 and, you know, I don't know the exact count at this point. I think it's about 130 members. I think there are seven countries, I mean, including like, you know, Ukraine and India and all over the world. And what we do is we help uh, we help entrepreneurs to basically to not make those mistakes that we made early in our career, right? Um, you know, and being an entrepreneur can be extremely lonely as well. So one of the things I really love too is we have built with Propellant Labs, we've built a community 
of like-minded you know, founders, basically, that uh, can help each other out. So for example, we have a giant melting pot too, which is something that I'm really passionate about. So we have, you know, we have some founders that are pre-MVP, which means they're still working on their business idea. They're still trying to figure out what exactly they're doing or trying to get that first sort of, um, uh, um, the first rev out to the world. And then we have founders that, you know, have over a million dollars in sales already. We have founders that are, um, you know, this is their first time ever running a business and we have other founders that you know we have one guy that uh his his last company he was the cto of and he he uh, and co-founder of they built a product that i believe it's at&t is using today to manage over a hundred million devices right it's it's crazy that um you know that, that we are able to, to kind of mesh these individuals together and it, the community kind of feeds itself right so you have those guys that are brand new and they're asking these questions not just to myself and to Dave who are sort of the um, you know the quote-unquote experts but to their their peers their the other people in their group as well who have you know they have specialties that maybe we don't know so we understand that we don't know everything um, yeah and and that's what I'm really passionate about right now I also um, I also mentor at, um, uh, we have a, a sort of like mini propellant labs that we do for the high schools. Uh, it's called Future Founders Academy. And we actually mentor young um, high school kids actually that are interested in entrepreneurship. And I got to say, that's one of the most rewarding things I, I've probably ever done. It's just so cool to see, you know, the passion in these kids. Some of them come from, you know, come from situations where, you know, they're stuck in that perpetual um, poverty, for example, right? And they're like, well, my parents never had anything. They were always poor. So they have this mindset that I'm going to be poor too. And it's just really cool to be able to break them out of that mindset and to teach them that, look, through entrepreneurship, there's nothing stopping you, right? There's no reason, especially when you look at the fact that it doesn't take money to make money. With the technology we have today, with things like Shopify, with you know, Oberlo with um, um, Alibaba, I can legitimately, with no money, with no experience, basically, you know, um, learn very quickly by maybe watching a YouTube tutorial, right? Learn very quickly how to start my own Shopify store, source products from, um, um, from Alibaba, for example. And, you know, in some cases, you can drop ship them directly from China. You, you don't even have any risk at all other than, you know, a small Shopify. What is it like? 20, 30 bucks a month, whatever a Shopify. I don't know offhand what the, the price is, but uh, it's just so cool to open that up. And we've actually had um, our, our last cohort that we did, we actually had, I think two of the kids have moved on with their business idea, which is really, really cool. I'm super excited about that. I also, um, I'm on the uh, school board. I'm actually the board treasurer for Springs Charter Schools, which I'm very passionate about as well. Um, amazing, amazing program there. Um, you know, it's especially important for kids that maybe don't fit into the public school system. They need more sort of one-on-one. -on -one. They have a different need, a sort of different learning experience. Um, yeah, I think that's what I'm sort of focused on today, those kind of things. I also mentor, I also mentor many, many, many companies. Um, and, you know, I do a little bit of investing as, as well. And, uh, you know, and, and I advise several companies as well. But that's, that's pretty much what keeps me busy nowadays, Steve. Well, good. I'm glad you're not, you know, really doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Oh, and to top it off, to top it off too, my wife is pregnant. She's due next month. So yeah, it's, it's a busy time, let's just say. Yeah, and going to get even worse once, once the children are actually here. <laughs> Touche, yeah. Oh, man. So, um, you know, the book is called No Money Down, Defying the Myth That It Takes Money to Make Money. Uh, there's a lot of really good points in here. But if you were just to pick one out, what is kind of the best way for a person who really wants to start their own business to be able to do it without, you know, doing the Donald Trump and hitting up your parents for a million dollar loan, you know? <laughs> yeah. So that, that's, that's a, that's a really good question. And I think, you know, the first step, right. The very first step is to, because at some point in time you are going to have to spend a little bit of money, right. But the very first step is to identify who your target market is and to find out if your idea even has legs at all, right. To really do that market validation. So I mentioned this in the book, but I have a friend, his name's Adam, and he has a custom tobacco product, right? And basically, they were convinced when they launched this product that their target market was, you know, a male. Um, I don't know if they actually had an age group, but they, they, were, uh, they were convinced that their target market was a male because that's who, you know, smokes cigars, right? They very quickly realized that, well, actually not very quickly, I guess after a, <laughs> a little bit of, of uh, money spent, more than they probably should have, they realized that their target market is not men. Men are not buying this for themselves. It's their wives and it's their girlfriends, right? It's, it's party planners, it's people like that. So yeah, they were spending their money marketing to the exact wrong person. So that, that you know, let's say you were to to take your life savings and pour it all into Facebook ads, for example, right? Because you're so sure that your business idea is going to, to make it. Well, if you haven't yet validated the market, validated the product or service or whatever it is, um, you're going to very quickly burn through that cash, right? Your reserve cash and your, your company is going to more than likely fail. So I would say the very first step to do is to have a very clear plan of how you're going to test the market. Now, what I mean by that is testing the market doesn't mean going and asking your mom, right? Because your mother will always love what you do. So will your sister and your brother and your cousin and your girlfriend and your wife, right? They're all going to tell you that, you know, that your idea is the best. So try to find real people. And you can do that by um, sending out email blasts, right, to people that you think are your target audience. You can do that through social media and doing surveys, right? Sometimes, you, you know, it works to bribe people and say, hey, I'll give you a, uh, we'll do a random giveaway, right, and uh, answer this survey and you have a chance to win a $20 gift card to Amazon or whatever. So you spend a little bit of money to get that research. Um, you know, if you have the cash, then sometimes people will go out and do an actual um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, like a, a survey, not a survey, a, um, like a case study, right? Um, um, not a case study. The word escapes me at the moment, but they'll do some more official sort of research to find out um, what the market is like. But like the most focus important group. focus group, thank you. Yes, that's what it is. Um, to figure out what exactly, um, it, you know, if the idea actually has legs or not. So, just to sort of back up, I would say very first step, find out if the idea has legs, validate the market. Once you've validated the market, right, um, and you really know that you, you have the right target market, then you can use things like 
Facebook ads, right? And your ROI is going to be, you know, once you know what your cost of acquisition is, let's say, for example, it costs you a um, dollar to acquire a customer. Let's say it costs $10 to acquire a customer, right? And that customer ends up buying your product for 20 bucks, right? Well, there you go. You're actually, you know, you're actually making money. So as long as you have those sort of metrics figured out, um, you'll do very well. But it's all about figuring those metrics out, right? Which takes time and effort. Um, the other thing I would say is, if you don't have a lot of money, if you don't have that startup capital, there are so many business models out there where you can actually make money without spending any. You can use your credit card, for example. Uh, one of the, the sort of techniques that I mentioned in the book is, and this sounds crazy, but big box shops, right? So for example, the Walmarts, the Targets, um, Home Depot, whatever it is of the world, they have at the end of a certain season, they have an excess overstock, right? So let's say that it's Halloween and they have a lot of costumes that are left over. You can actually go in there and a lot of times purchase those excess costumes for up to 90% off, okay? Then you keep those you know, in, in a bin or something like that in your garage for a year, eight months later, whatever it is, as the Halloween season begins to come back, uh, put them back online and you can make very healthy products. Because remember, you are very healthy product, uh, profit. Because remember, you were able to buy these at 90% off of retail. So you can undercut the big box shops and make a ton of money. There's also, uh, there's also models like buying, um, I'm sorry, using um, uh, what's called uh, undervalued products or services. So let's say there was somebody on a platform like Fiverr, right? If you guys aren't familiar with Fiverr, it's a really nice website where the concept is like, what will you do for five bucks? You can get somebody to do, for example, uh, your logo design. So you pay somebody on there, let's say five, 10, $15 to design a logo, right? And, and, and they'll, and they'll um, deliver it to you. Now, imagine this, let's say you've identified that there's a group of people that are willing to pay you $100 for that same logo design, right? So once you've sort of worked out their relationship, what you can actually do is you can use some Facebook ads or Google or whatever, create a whole company, right, around these freelancers. Market, um, you know, you can market the uh, logo design for maybe a hundred bucks, right? And you're paying $10 to get it done. So, you know, there's some fees and other things involved, but as you can see, there's a very healthy profit in that. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's, that's, that's part of it too. I mean, there's lots of other ways. There's things to buy, buy uh, products on terms and all that kind of stuff, you know, maybe net, net 30, net uh, 60, 90, whatever. But uh, that's a discussion for a later time. So yeah, I guess that's sort of some of the tips and tricks that I, that I would like to mention today. Absolutely. Well, and you know, people need to get the book to get all the suggestions. For, uh, yeah. That is a really good one. We're going to take a quick commercial break, and then we will be right back here on Thriving Entrepreneur. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author, and now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. 
now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thank you for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. I'm joined by my great guest, Gene Swank. We're going to jump right back into the interview with him. Another thing you mentioned that's even in the description of your book is most of the times companies fail not because they run out of money, but because of an attitude problem. Can you talk a little bit about that attitude problem? Yeah, yeah, that, that's 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 very much the the case. I think in many instances, right? So a lot of times a company fails because they give up after their first failure. I would say, right? So <laughs> they 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 run into a little bit of turbulence, right? Um, something doesn't going go their way, and they just give up. They just stop trying. And the truth is, right? What you should instead be doing as a founder is you should be learning from those uh, learning from those failures. Uh, you know, you lose a big client. Why did you lose that big client, right? If you can understand why you lost that big client, then you know how to not make that same mistake next time, right? So that's, I think, the reason why most most companies actually fail. It's because they they just get so down on themselves after those first few mistakes, after those first, you know, maybe, you know, your company's starting to take off and then something happens, a big competitor comes in, right? Like, for example, for me, um, we were killing it in the printing industry and then China came along and they were, you know, violating our trademarks and we tried to fight them in court, right? And we tried to, to shut them down and then we would get their website shut down. And the next day they pop up another one and another one. It was so tough, right? To, to sort of fight those battles. And many times you may think, well, you just want to give up. The truth is you can't, right? And that's the mentality that you have to have as an entrepreneur. You have to be resilient. You have to be able to, you know, just to keep pushing forward, um, you know, regardless what's sort of, you know, how many times you've failed uh, in the past. So I think that's part of the mentality that it takes, just that, that ability to keep going when times are tough. Hmm. The ability to keep going when times are tough. There's a lot of people that are really good at quitting, but the people that are <laughs> good at yeah. persevering, that's, that's a smaller subset. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. All right. So, um, you know, let's say you could go back in time and you could talk to the younger version of yourself getting ready to start that very first business. What would be the one piece of advice you know now that you didn't know then that you would give to you? Okay, so this is a little bit tricky question because if I could go back in time and talk to the younger self, my younger self, I would probably tell my younger self, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. I could totally give you some advice that would teach you how to not make those mistakes, but I'm not going to because without those mistakes, you wouldn't be the person that you are today. I'm proud of the person I am today. Even though I could go back in time and, you know, even if I could go back in time and make a few of those changes, 
I don't know. I, I feel like it's part of the journey. And without those learning experiences, I would not have the success that I have today. So I think the only thing I would do is maybe go back and just warn myself that, look, it's going to be a bumpy ride. And, uh, and, and just be prepared. Uh, know that, you know, it's, when times are tough, that, you know, that this pain is not going to last forever. It's just temporary. And, you know, it, it, you know, it's just kind of like when you're working out, right? When you're lifting weights, it, 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 you know, you have that, that pain. You hate some people, you know, they, they absolutely hate lifting weights or running or whatever it is. It's, it sucks. It's not fun. But, you know, after several months, it starts to pay off, right? And then the other thing I think I would, I would tell them is, you know, tell myself as well, more as a motivational, because like I said, I, I don't want to change the things that uh, the, the steps that led me to where I am today. I think I would also um, tell them that, you know, life is, you only see life in a snapshot, right? You only see where you are right now. As I mentioned in the book as well, I talk about, you know, um, a couple of years ago, I, I got really sick. Um, I had an ulcer and I had to eat, you know, a, a diet that consisted of very heavy carbs, right? So I ended up know, just blown up like a balloon. I, I gained so much weight very quickly. And, um, you know, and, and then finally, my stomach started to get better. I, um, I was able to go on a diet and started to lose that weight. And then I see an old friend, and they say to me, Oh, it looks like you've put on a few pounds, right? That was to me, it was, it, it hurt, because I realized that it almost made me want to give up, to be honest with you, because it, you know, I realized that no matter how hard I had been working, I'm still, you know, overweight. And it took me a while, but I eventually realized that, you know, we only see life in snapshots, right? And other people only see the snapshot as well. They only see where you are right now and not the future that you're going to be at later on. So, you know, eventually I was able to, to lose the remainder of that weight and to get in much better shape. But, you know, that's the other thing I think I would tell myself, right? That life, you only see life as a snapshot of where you are right now. You can't see the whole picture. So just have faith and believe that, you know, eventually, like I think Steve Jobs said um, that uh, something along the lines of, um, you know, just have faith and, and believe that the dots will eventually connect in the future, right? And that's, um, yeah, I think I 100% agree with that. Wow, that, that's really good. I mean, there's a lot of people that, I've asked that question too, and a whole barrage of regrets comes out. So it's interesting that you've reached to the place where you can say, you know, yeah, there was some stuff in there, but I'm glad that I came through it because I'm who I am now. Yeah, well, I mean, and look, I and I and I plan on being a better person in the future as well, right? I don't feel like that growth is ever really over, right? You want to continue to strive and to move forward, but. My point is that, you know, I, I think it makes sense to look back only to reflect and not to, uh, you know, to, to, to regret the mistakes that you made because they are so, so crucial into, you know, making you into the person that you are. Um, and, and look, let's say that we were talking, instead of talking today, let's say we were talking, um, you were talking to me 10 years ago, right? and asking me about my life and I was in the middle of these terrible situations, I would hope, or let's say that there's another one of those rocky times um, that I'm going through in a year from now and, and we talk about it at that point. I hope that I still am able to have that outlook, right? Um, you know, like, like I, I love the, you know, the, the secret, for example, right? How they say you get basically what you put out there. You put something out into the world, right? If you put positive thoughts out there, you're going to have 
it's going to impact you positively. Put negativity out there, it's going to impact you neg negatively, right? Um, I honestly believe that, and that's part of the reason why I want to live my life in that way. So, um, you know, Propellant Labs, I'm so excited about it. Uh, you know, Kathy and I are looking at joining. Uh, tell people a little bit about it in more detail and what they could do to find out more if it's a good fit for them. Yeah, sure. So basically, kind of as I was mentioning before, right, Dave and I started Propellant Labs because basically, well, for many reasons, right? So basically because we know what it's like to be where, you know, these early stage founders are today, right? We've been through those trials and tribulations. We've had those tough times. We've made those failures. So our goal is to take individuals um, at whatever stage they are at today and to help them to, to take their business to the next level. Now, sometimes that's raising capital, right? Sometimes that is, um, you know, landing that first big deal. Sometimes it's, you know, I don't even know what technology I want to, I want to use for this, what the, what the stack should look like if it's a technology product, right? Um, so what we do is we, we work with, like I said, we work with a wide range of companies, everything from pre-MVP to, you know, a million dollars or more a year in, in revenue. Um, and we help them to reach those goals. And we've been very successful with it, to be honest. I got to brag a little bit because, you know, we've had millions and millions of dollars that have been raised for um, companies in our program. But one thing that we are not, we are not one of those companies that promise you, you pay me X amount of money and we're going to introduce you to investors on day one and we're going to help you raise money. That's not what we do. The first thing I'm going to do if somebody joins our program is I'm going to I'm going to look at their company and I'm going to see are you even ready to raise money. So many times time and time and time again I've had founders tell me like if I only had another $100,000 or half a million dollars or whatever it is I would be in such a different situation. The truth is that is rarely rarely the truth. Most of the time if I was to give an average entrepreneur half a million dollars what they would do is go out there and try to, you know, spend it all, like I was saying earlier, spend it all on Facebook ads or whatever it is trying to, to um, uh, figure out the market. Instead, the very first step is to, as I said before, is to validate your business to, um, uh, to prove or to, to figure out who your target market is and to, to figure out if that idea actually has legs. And then at that point, we help them to, to raise the money or whatever the business goals are. We currently have as I said before, I think about 130 companies that are either in or, or have gone through the program. Um, I think seven countries um, and like a wide variety of companies. I think our um, portfolio of companies is currently valued around $150 million. So we are very excited about that as well. And, you know, I, I just, I can't tell you like the extreme, um, the pleasure that it gives me to just be able to help people to reach those goals, right? Somebody that has a dream uh, and it's locked inside of them, they have no idea how to um, take those steps and they're scared, right? Or maybe they don't want to make those mistakes. So it's really great for us to tell them, you know, for example, yeah, you could go that path. Let me tell you about the time that I went that path and I failed miserably. So let's not go that direction. Let's go this direction in, in, instead. Um, and as far as the type of people, because we are choosy about who we let in, right? We, we don't let just anybody in. Uh, what we look for is, um, you know, just really great, 
passionate founders, people that we believe that we can help, people that are coachable, somebody that doesn't feel like they know everything. I, I like to say that we back the jockey and not the horse, right? Um, you can have the world's greatest idea, but if you don't know how to execute on that idea, you're not going to be very successful, right? So we, we, we're just looking for, um, you know, for great founders. And I think the founders, in my opinion, are much more important and much more, um, that's a bigger part of our decision process than the actual idea of the business, right? Let's say you have a terrible business idea, but you're an amazing founder and you just have that passion, that ability to, to continue to, to take your business to the next level, right? So you may, we may have to talk to them about potentially pivoting and doing something a little bit different. But if they're a good founder, if they're a really good jockey, right, then they can steer the company in the right direction um, and, and it can ultimately be successful. So that's really what we're looking for. Um, we are a SaaS model, um, which means that it's a subscription-based model. You know, we do the whole you know, month to month thing, just because if somebody doesn't think that we're adding value, then they don't have to stick with us. But our, our retention rates are through the roof, right? And for that reason, I think we're doing something right. So how would a person um, get a hold of you if they wanted to know more information? Yeah, the easiest way is to go to www.propellantlabs.com. Um, or, you know, you can email, you can actually even email me directly, gene at propellantlabs.com. Um, that would be the best thing to do. In fact, if you want to know a little bit more about um, how propellant works as well, uh, we recently, Dave and myself were recently featured on, um, on NBC. There is a, a show called Tipping Point. It's a documentary and we talk about propellant labs and our stories and all that kind of stuff too. So I could direct them in that direction as well. Um, if you want to, you know, kind of watch a little video of learning about Dave and my story in our, in our direction as well. The book is called No Money Down, Defying the Myth That It Takes Money to Make Money, written by international best-selling author Gene Swank. Gene, thanks for spending some time with us on the radio show today. Thank you so much, Steve. Have a great day. That's some great stuff. I almost feel like at the end of Wizard of Oz when, you know, it's, what did you learn, Dorothy? I really would be interested in hearing what you learned from what Gene was saying today. Feel free to go out to Twitter, to Facebook, to your different social medias, and hashtag Thriving Entrepreneur, and tell me what you got from this today. We do have one last quick commercial break here, and then I'll be right back to wrap things up for you here on Thriving Entrepreneur. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to We Help. 
youthrive.com. Check us out and find out how you can be a best-selling author today. Welcome back to Thriving Entrepreneur. This is Steve. Welcome back. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. Wow, wasn't that amazing? I told you at the beginning of the show we were going to have an amazing, mind-blowing guest for you. And Gene absolutely is that. I love the things that he's doing in the world. Um, And I love being able to be a small part of it, be part of seeing his book come out and become the amazing international best-selling book that it was and all of the cool stuff that Gene does. He's a really amazing guy. And of course, we wish him a lot of good luck with the uh, twins that are coming any time now. Uh, that's both exciting and, and I'm sure probably a little bit terrifying all at the same time. Uh, but I really hope that throughout all of this, you found your action for today. I mean, I hope that you sat down and you made out a whole plan of I'm going to do this and this and this and this and this and this and this. As I'm recording this, I'm actually in the process today of setting my intentions for the week. What are the things I'm going to do this week, um, you know, to really show up in, in a powerful way to get things that, um, you know, only I can get done this week that I need to get done this week to set my intentionality. So I encourage you right now to set your intentions, set your intentionality, your focus on the things that you're going to do this week. You see, we can look at that snapshot of our bank account, that car that needs maintenance out in the driveway. Um, you know, the bill that just came in the mail. Or, you know, we can even look at good things. We can look at the plane tickets that just came in. Uh, you know, that's a little bit of a misnomer because most days they're just going to download on your computer. But, you know, maybe the plane tickets you just bought that you're going to go on this amazing trip. Or maybe it's the, uh, you know, speaking engagement that you were just invited to, to be the keynote. All of those exciting, amazing things, as well as the things that may be less than, that all of them today, I want to help you see, and I really believe for you that those can be the catalysts. Those are the things that are going to propel you today. You're going to take whatever is, you're going to say, okay, what are the actions that I can take right now? See, there's lots of actions, and and I am a big fan of, you know, short-term goals, long-term goals, medium-range goals, all of that kind of stuff. But there is something about the power of right now. What can I do right now? Sometimes you don't feel like it. Let's just be honest. If I did the radio show, and and I've said many, many times over, you know, the radio show is kind of like my guilty pleasure. I have to remind myself that it's part of work. But still, there are times that it is work, that I've had an amazing interview with somebody, but now I've got to do this part of the show, and I've got to do, um, you know, the edits, and I've got to upload it, and all of that kind of stuff, and 
you know, there are times when I don't just wake up in the morning and go, you know what I'd like to do? I'd like to do an upload to Blog Talk Radio and to our website of this particular episode. Um, you know, there are times that I do, but there's times when I don't. That's where setting our intentionality comes into place. Because we operate with intention, not with feeling. Our feelings are valid. I don't want you to feel discounted at all in how you feel today. But I want you to know that now is your time for action. Now is your time to look at what is going on. Maybe it's cloudy outside like it is here again today. That's okay. That doesn't have any impact on that intention either. What is the action you're going to take? What is the action that's going to get you to where you need to go? I know for a lot of you, that action means it's time to really take action on that book that's been inside of you for a week, two weeks, 10 months, 10 years. You know, you've got this light, this answer, this solution for people. And you just haven't put it out there yet. Well, now it's time to move past yet and move into action. The world needs it. The world needs what you have to bring. They need that message. So easy first step, go to bestsellersguild.com, join our free group, but then take more action. Go to AskSteveKid.com and schedule that appointment. And let's start talking about getting that book done. I have lots of different options for you. But the first step is going to be that action. You got to do something. You know, you are uniquely brilliant. You were created very specifically for a purpose. And the world does need you. The one thing that you have to do for that is you have to be the one to swing your legs around the side of the bed and get out of bed and go and do and be who you are meant to be, to show up in the world, to do the thing that you can do today. Find out what that thing is for today, for this week. Make it on purpose. Do it with intention. And really, truly begin to see yourself develop and your business develop and the company grow from whatever that bank account snapshot says to the amazing place that it's going. Will you do that? I really hope you will. Know that Kathy and I are here to help you in any way that we can so that you can live every day of your life as a thriving entrepreneur. We believe in you. Now's your time. And until next time, I hope that you will have an amazing and great week. Thanks for listening to Thriving Entrepreneur today. If you want to get your question answered, send an email to questions at wehelpyouthrive.com. We look forward to you joining us again next time. You've heard Kathy and I talk about it. You've seen the workshops. You have watched as others of your friends have become a best-selling author. And now it's your turn. Let me ask you this. What would being a best-selling author do for your business? 
Over 80% of people surveyed said that they want to write a book, which means that if you're listening, you probably are one of those people. Now is your time because you have a message that needs to be shared. That message is not for you. It's not for your ego. It is because it serves other people. Kathy and I are here to help you share your unique brilliance with the world. All you need to do is go to wehelpyouthrive.com, check us out, and find out how you can be a best-selling author today.